Hello, and welcome to the e-learning and instructional design for beginners podcast, where new and aspiring instructional designers start, grow, and advance their careers. Would you like to become a successful instructional designer? Well, then let's get started. Hey, I'm speaking with Mr. Reed Coburn. Welcome, Reed. Hi, thanks, Crystal. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for joining us. Could you tell me a bit about yourself? Um, yeah, sure. So my name is Reed, uh, the present tense verb, not read. I was born and raised in Orlando, Florida. I went to University of Florida for my undergrad and English. Um, I was actually not planning to finish my undergrad. I wanted to just drop out and travel the world and everything, but my dad just convinced me, you know, you should at least finish your degree. So I did it in English because um, I loved English literature. So I did that at UF, uh, so go Gators. Um, and then after that, I ended up in China for about five years teaching English. So I lived in a couple different cities over there. And that's kind of where I really fell in love with education and I guess with an instructional design, I didn't really know it was instructional design when I was doing it over there, but um, I took on a role as an academic director over there and I started doing some curriculum design. I was, you know, designing course materials and stuff for my students. And I really fell in love with that, you know, behind the scenes part of it, the design part of it. So when I heard about instructional design, I was like, whoa, that's an actual job. I want to do that. So I came back home and I started my master's degree and finished that last year in January. And then shortly after finishing that degree at FSU, I don't know if I said that I finished at FSU, you know, not, not great. <laughs> that was a, it was an amazing program. Um, it was hard for me as a Gator to go to FSU, but really amazing program. It was a master's of science in instructional systems and learning technology. And so shortly after I finished that, I got a job at Hilton Grand Vacations as their instructional designer. And I work with all the different sort of business units. I do stuff for resort operations, from leadership to front desk. And, you know, I dabble in all the other business units as well, finance and sales and all that stuff. So yeah, I love my job. That's me. And I like rock climbing, hiking, and other adventure sports. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. One of the best things about being an instructional designer is the ability to go travel the world and do things like that. I feel the exact same way. That's one reason why what drew me to instructional design. It sounds like you have a really cool job right now too. I think it's great, you know, creating vacation experiences for people. That's cool. But what I love most about my job is just like the day-to-day -day tasks of creating videos. And, and my team is amazing. You know, I work with a bunch of trainers and my director and it's just such a stress-free job. I feel like because of the nature of learning and development, it's not like, oh, we need this now. It's kind of like, okay, well, we're going to develop some stuff and we're going to work on iterations. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work and we'll fix it. And my director says, you know, there's no emergencies in learning and development. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> that sounds like a dream instructional job, design job to me. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. 
I think yeah. it, that's that's one of the the key things of any job, really. It's like, yeah, maybe that you don't really fully support everything in your business, but if you've got a great team and you've got a cool work to do, then it's like, that's what you want, right? Yeah, exactly. That sounds perfect to me. (laughs) Well, I'd love to hear more about your experiences as an ESL teacher in China. Could you share some of the opportunities and cultural learning experiences that have come your way? Um, Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, living in China was really an eye-opening experience. They obviously have a very different culture over there. That's kind of why I chose China, because it was so different. I just kind of wanted to see how a completely different culture lived. And as a teacher, I think one of the most interesting things was how the classroom was set up as um, very instructor-led and like a direct teaching approach. You know, in the U.S., we have a lot of projects and we have a lot of sort of collaborative work and labs and things like that, which they do over there. But a lot of it is sort of rote memory and just, you know, the teacher will deliver the instruction, the students will take notes. So not a lot of, really a lot of teacher talking time and not a lot of student contributions. So in the classroom, obviously as an ESL teacher, my main goal was to get students to speak English, right? So I'd get students that came into class, they'd understand what I was saying, they'd be able to read and write, but couldn't speak because they just didn't have that opportunity in the classroom. And they're all very quiet too, to start, you know, they'd come, we'd start class and be my first class with them, be their first class with a foreign teacher. And they'd all just be just looking at me, not because they're just shocked because I'm, you know, a Western looking guy, but also because I was asking them questions and I was trying to get them to contribute. I thought one of the coolest things was just how I was able to, you know, one of my purposes from that, from understanding that about them, how they needed to speak was to break them out of their shells and get them speaking, reduce my teacher talking time. And that's how my instructional approach kind of developed into more like a social collaborative approach. Um, So everything I designed for the classroom activities and all that, that I designed for my students were all based on this idea that they would be speaking to each other and I would go around listening and give them feedback. And it was just really cool to see some of their transformations. I had this little girl, her name was Leaf and she was five years old. And she came in to the classroom, wouldn't say a word to anyone. And, you know, we would do role plays. We would act out like the three little pigs or what's that? The Yeah, three little pigs, like mm-hmm. all these plays and stuff. And after just a few months, she completely broke out of her shell. She was the, you know, she was the most talkative person in class. She was kind of running the classroom. And it was just, yeah, I thought that was a, it was a really interesting part of the cultural experience over there. It's just, I thought it was a, you know, it was an interesting balance that we got was their respect for listening to the teacher and my kind of drive to get them to break out of their shell and not disrespect the teacher, but like to talk as much as possible. Yeah, they're raised very respectful. Actually, I worked for a VIP kid. Oh, yeah. I- yeah, so I, but it was I all did that just, for a little while. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. yeah so it's one on one, but I can imagine like doing the collaborative group exercises that I could see that being so much more transformational for the kids for sure. That's awesome. In your opinion, what do you think are the most important skills necessary for implementing a systematic instructional design process? Um, yeah, so I was trying to think of this question before. There's so many skills involved and there 
there are so many different systems and processes, right? Um, You know, I, it just depends on, on your preference really for the process and everything, but I tend to use like a more rapid prototyping process. It works better for my personality type and for how I like to work. So I think the most important skills are to develop a prototype, you know, get it out there as fast as possible and not worry, over worry about, you know, what it looks like and what it, you obviously want it to be functional and you want it to be pretty decent, but you also don't need it to be perfect. And I think once you get something visible and tangible out there and you can show it to your stakeholders, then they can give you feedback on that. And you can go back, do some so more reiteration and just perfect it from there. And also just let your stakeholders know you're like, this is not the final product. This is my idea. I think that's just so much more powerful than a proposal with a storyboard slide deck where you're like, this is what I want to do. Instead of that, you know, what I like to do in my position is just like, this is what I want to do. And I'll show them a very basic version of what I want to create. And I think that's just so much more powerful to them. They can actually see what I'm going after. And that usually impresses them a lot more. And it's, you know, I think that works for me. Maybe other systems work better for other people. Maybe they like to spend more time in the planning phase. But for me, I just like to really hit the ground running and get something out there. I mean, what's really nice about that is you have something that's functional from the beginning and you can always go back and make changes. So you've always got something that's ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I think that's becoming more and more common. I think with the tools, the tools and everything that's coming out, it's just so much easier to get something out fast. Right, exactly. And then just collaboration is so important, which I think people are realizing more now too. So yeah, definitely getting feedback and acting on feedback, asking people. I think that's, that might be one of the most important skills is getting user testing and then not taking it personally when people say they don't like something, just really understanding your, your audience through testing and feedback and, you know, just working to refine right. your, your deliverables. Right. Cause everyone's different. Yeah. Now that wraps up this week's e-learning and instructional design for beginners podcast episode. Now it's time for you to go out there and take action on what you learned about instructional design today. Remember, you don't have to earn another degree and get a formal education in in order to become successful in the field of instructional design. That's why I started the e-learning and instructional design for beginners. I would love to have you as an e-learning and instructional design for beginners member. My program is a proven step-by-step process you can use for a successful career in instructional design and create online courses from scratch. I offer a free membership that gives you the tools and resources you need to successfully start a career in instructional design and e-learning. To learn more, go to eteachonline.com slash join.